Hey there, guys. Wanted to tell you about something new. I've launched a Patreon account, patreon.com slash Andrew Brand. People have asked about getting more content, more insight, more information from me, and now that's available through various tiers. If you're able to join on patreon.com, you can get shout outs from me. You can get the Business of Sports podcast transcripts. You can get Ask Andrew questions, weekly newsletters, all kinds of ways to interact with me, including a monthly conversation about whatever you want to talk about, jobs in the sports industry, breaking into sports. It's all available now on patreon.com. Andrew Brandt, if you're able, please join, select your tier and be able to have further content and interaction with me. Patreon.com slash Andrew Brandt. I hope you join. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. It's a Brandt's Rants edition with so much going on in the business of the NFL, and I'll get to all those things. I just want to talk about the opening of sports generally, what's going on. We can talk about primarily the NFL, but also I'll have a couple thoughts on college sports and the other sports. First of all, let's get right into it with the business of the NFL. Kudos to the NFL and the NFLPA, the Players Association, the union, and the league hashed out what I call a mini-CBA, a mini-collective bargaining agreement to deal with COVID, to deal with what's going on in the world and the world of sports right now. And it's operational and it's economic. It's changes to the CBA for 2020 and beyond based on what's ahead. So to review, as we know, five months ago, the NFL and NFLPA hashed out an 11-year collective bargaining agreement. As we know, I was critical of that from the player's side, thinking they didn't get enough for the precious inventory that they gave up of a 17th game. We'll never go back. We're always going to have 17 or more games now. And this was the CBA that did that, that got us over 16 in 2020. Anyway, having said that, it did pass, even though the executive committee was against it. It passed by the slimmest of margins, player vote, about 1,020 players for it, about 970 players against it, whatever it was. And there we go. Now, obviously the world changed, everything happened, and now the NFL, seeing anticipated losses of revenues, comes to the players and say, we got we to gotta address this, which in so many words means we're going to take a hit on revenues, you're going to feel it, and you're not only going to feel it in the future, but we want you to feel it right now. So let's t- like take a look at what came out of this agreement. Uh, first, financially, and a couple, the, the early years are most important because what the players were trying to protect is the established cap this year of $198 million per team. Did they protect that? Well, yes and no. There's no change to the $198 million in team spending, which shouldn't be a problem for teams, of course, because most teams are over that with adjusted cap, which I can explain later. But players are losing out on $17 million per team of benefits. What benefits? Player assistance fund, second career savings plan, pension for 2020, uh, severance pay for 2020, Pro Bowl pay if the Pro Bowl, unless the Pro Bowl is played, I doubt it will be, uh, tuition assistance, all gone. Now, they will tell you, or the agreement will say, that it will be restored, these benefits. And when? Well, sometime after 2023. Now, that's a long way away. A lot of the players right now won't even be in the NFL in 2023, but 
they'll get their benefits restored, as it says, it seems to be a lot to give up. And when the headline is, you know, the 2020 cap is not affected, you have to re read the fine print. It certainly is affected. These benefits are important. Whenever you talk about the cap being 198 million, people come back at least defending the union and say, well, it's actually 240 million with all the benefits or something like that. Well, now it's not. It's 223 million because the benefits have been reduced 17 million per team. So it's important to know that. I need players need to know that. That their benefits have been reduced, taken away for 2020 as a loan to the NFL, and they'll get back that loan maybe 2023, 2024, etc. Okay, that's 2020. Now we move to 2021. Here's the issue. Uh, when the NFL floated out weeks ago, months ago, that hey, that you could have a cap loss of $40 million per team, we all said, oh my God, no way, it won't go that low. Well, what the NFL and NFB agreed to is that it's not going to go lower than $175 million in 2021. Well, think about that. The projected cap without the pandemic would have been about $215 million per team. So you take away $40 million, that's $175 million. So if it goes down to $175 million, the NFL accomplished exactly what they tried to or what they floated as a trial balloon through NFL media of a $40 million loss per team, it's going to be a haircut to players next year. Will teams have a hard time getting under that? Well, again, this is the rollover th issue no one talks about. Teams can roll over cap year to year. So when we talk about a $198 million cap in 2020, there are teams like the Colts and Browns that are well over $230 million of cap. And for minimum spending purposes, they only are tracked according to the actual cap of 198. So what I'm saying is teams are going to have a lot more cap room than $175 million next year because they're going to roll over cap from this year. And their adjusted caps next year are going to be closer to the $200 million this year than they are to the $175 million or whatever low number is they talk about for next year. Now, that's the dirty little secret that NFL teams have. The minimum spending requirements don't have a lot of accountability. They can roll over cap. They're not judged on their adjusted cap. They're judged on the team cap. And they can be judged over three or four years instead of year to year. And it's only 89%. It's not 90-something percent. So this is a problem. And uh, the players are going to feel it. You know, what are we going to see in this year? Well, I think we'll see the usual veterans being cut. Um, that's always going to happen. But we'll also see some issues next year that are a little more difficult for veterans. And again, this two-tier league where you have the stars make a lot of money and then 50 to 60, even 70% of your team on cheap, affordable, fixed-value rookie contracts, which really balances out your cap and makes this agreement so team-friendly. That's where we are on that. Um, even beyond 2021, there will be quote-unquote smoothing, which means players will continue to feel the brunt of 2020 uh, as we go forward in 2021, 2022, 2023 as well. You know, it all depends on what's going to happen this year. We hear about no fans. We hear about some fans. Some some teams will do ten to 12,000 fans. Some teams you're hearing about maybe up to 20,000 fans. To me, everything is fluid, which is, again, the real issue with all this. Uh, the other financial parts we'll get to in terms of opt-outs 
And, uh, you know, I think before we get to that, you know, this agreement got done and kudos to the union and the league for getting it done. I think the real issue though is can we play through a pandemic? You know, I just think that what we have now is the NBA, Major League Soccer, the NHL, National Women's Soccer League, and WNBA playing in bubbles. And it's now when we now we have some data. You know, we're a few weeks into this. Now we have some data. And the data is bubbles work when players are sequestered, when they can't have outside contact. Infections are down, in most cases, down to zero. So we don't have problems. Can we do that in football? No. I mean, I guess you talk about the Saints putting players in a hotel. Yeah, I mean, there's some level of that. But what we have now is about 90 players on the COVID list uh, through the first couple weeks or week. You know, we don't know if they're infected or they're around people who are infected. And then, of course, we have the opt-outs, which I'll talk about. But, you know, some people suggest, oh, well, now when they get to the teams, they'll be safer. We won't have as many infections. I find that hard to believe. I think that 90 infections pre-gathering shows you, you know, that they're not going to gather and then never see the people they were seeing. <laughs> you know, so this is not a bubbled sport. So I'm trying not to be pessimistic, of course. I'm trying to be realistic. And this idea that, you know, people like me that talk about the concerns of health and safety are against football, it's just a joke. You know, people need to, to get over themselves suggesting that. But I just think we're in a pandemic and we've got to find the thread, the needle to play through this. Again, we have multiple infections before gathering. What is gathering? Gathering in practice, gathering in meetings, gathering in playing. And we still don't really know the answer to the question, what if an offensive lineman tests positive uh, either in practice and, and, and we're in game week? You know, what do we do? Do we quarantine the whole offensive line? Do we quarantine the whole defensive line? Do we quarantine everybody that player came in contact with? I mean, these are the kind of things that we haven't dealt with once we get to a season. But competitive balance is going to be out the window this year, and that's the mantra of the NFL. Everything is are bound with competitive balance when we talk about the cap to level the playing field. We talk about the draft to level the playing field, allow bad teams the chance to best draft the best players. This is all about competitive balance, but this year, who knows? I mean, even this week, we had two starting quarterbacks, Matthew Stafford and Gardner Minshew, on the list for whatever reason, and we had one head coach, Doug Peterson. Now, it's naive to think that won't happen in September, October, November, December. So, say we're playing without two starting quarterbacks a week, one head coach a week. Now, maybe that's too much. But maybe it's one starting quarterback every two weeks, a one head coach every month. You know, is that okay? I just think we have to understand that's going to happen. And not only quarterbacks, but other players of significance that make impacts on a team. So this is all going to be happening. I think the idea of competitive balance, even with the stadiums, some with no fans, some with a lot of fans, some in jurisdictions that are really a hot zone, some are not. You know, this is a year like no other if it happens. People are asking me, is it going to happen? Well, let's just, are we going to have a full season? I'm like, let's just get to week one and then we'll go from there. I mean, we got a long way till week one. 
The other issue is the opt-outs. Players deciding they're not going to do that. And today is the deadline. And I'll explain more after this word from DraftKings. Our sponsor, DraftKings, has brought their expertise to legal sports betting. It's legitimate sports book based right here in the U.S. You can rest assured your funds are secure. You can throw all your money at your convenience. And right now there's an NBA promotion that's really exciting. You place a pregame money line bet on a single game. And if the team you, t- you pick to win ends up losing but scores over 110 points, you get your money back. How about that? Also, DraftKings new users sign up bonus of $1,000. If sportsbook's not available in your state, don't forget about DraftKings Fantasy app. They're offering a shot of a share of a million dollars every day this week. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use your code ROSS, R-O-S-S, all caps, when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook has a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Just enter code ROSS, R-O-S-S, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus, first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook. For details, gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or an Indiana 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Back to a discussion of what is going on with the NFL business now. Today is opt-out deadline. I'm reporting this on Thursday, August 6th. 4 p.m. is the deadline for players who decide they don't want to go through the season. We are at 50-plus opt-outs right now. Think about that. 50 players in the NFL have decided they don't feel safe to do this. And I would expect more, up to 60. People are saying, well, it's the players who haven't made money or it's the stars who have made money. I don't think there is a stereotype for this kind of player. People talk about players with children or or babies or pregnant wives. I mean, listen, there are reasons that are going through with all these players that are different. And I think it's, it's unfair to kind of stereotype this or bucket these players. Um, so I have been in the position where a couple of players have reached out to me and asked questions about opting out. And then they've told their teammates and I've actually talked to four or five players. So here's what I say. I give them the economics and I'll give you the economics. You get $150,000 stipend unless you're a high risk player, which has to be determined by multiple doctors where you have diseases, cancer, liver disease, uh, immunodeficient diseases, and you can get $350,000, but I think that's going to be rare to find those. There will be a couple of those. But I'm mainly talking about the voluntary opt-outs. You get $150,000 stipend. I'm not sure why they call it a stipend. It's really a salary advance, a loan. Your contract is told, meaning it's frozen, so it picks up again next year, at which point your team will take back the $150,000. If you don't make the team, they'll come after you. Good luck with that. I've been there trying to get a salary advance from a player you release. But theoretically, they'll have the right to get that money back in 2021. So it's not a stipend at all. It's not free money. It's a loan. You do not get accredited season for pension. You do not get accrued season for free agency. You simply take the stipend. It is irrevocable after 4 o'clock today, and you can't opt out after today. But for what they say, limited circumstances, which have to be dire, a death in the family, a family member with the disease uh, in, who is hospitalized. Those kind of things will allow an opt-out. 
I think that's going to be difficult. I think as we go forward, players are going to want to opt out because they see circumstances they didn't anticipate. The league is going to block it. We're going to have issues. But having said that, we're going to see opt-outs. We've seen opt-outs. Players of all levels, players you never heard of, obviously, and players that are well-known like Dante Hightower, like uh, Nate Solder, like C.J. Mosley, Devin Funches. I mean, they're, at this moment, Tredavious White at the Bills, an all-pro corner is thinking about it. So we'll see. But I just think this is something where clearly, when we talk about the agreement between the NFL and the NFLPA, the NFL didn't anticipate this number of opt-outs and basically renegotiated on the fly with the NFL saying it's not going to be a week from the date that the agreement is signed, which was a couple days ago. It's going to be Thursday, August 6th. And the NFLPA agreed with that. Uh, I guess in exchange, everybody's subject to these uh, protocols, not just players. And, and so the deadline was moved up. So there's less consideration to the liberation time. The NFL teams didn't want to worry about these players continuing to sort of check things out before they decide what to do. And it was imposed. So here we are. Uh, we're at the deadline. Again, I think there are legitimate reasons for players to be concerned. My big fear for the NFL is this, that we have players that do not recover well. I think we all understand the NFL is working hard at this and putting in the good protocols. That will not prevent uh, lack of infections because they're not bubbled, because you can't control everything. And I want to be realistic about this, but I don't think it will infect negative outcomes. Now, we assume young, healthy, strong players will all have positive outcomes, but I can't, I can't, we can't assume that. And again, back to Von Miller, I know he had asthma, but again, he did not have a good outcome, had lingering respiratory issues, and maybe players now will have lingering respiratory issues. And maybe players who get infected now will have lingering vascular issues, or God forbid, worse. And the question that leagues have to ask is what acceptable number of negative outcomes can we live with? And those are the questions that really would keep me up at night if I'm an NFL executive. With a team or the league, like, what if something really bad happens to one of these players? And I wouldn't even be worried about it. I would from liability and lawsuits and all the, and the family, et cetera, is state suing, but just, just PR and why do we play through this? And, you know, I think, what are we doing here? And it goes back to my comment I've been making for now months, which is if this was about optimal health and safety, and that was the real priority, the number one priority we wouldn't play. Of course we wouldn't play. But it's not, and I get it more than anyone. That's what this name of this podcast is, the business of sports. And it's about more than that. It's about business and the economics of sports. So that's where we are now. And this matters. I mean, economics matters. So that's why we're playing. Uh, but again, there is risk. And the question is, is it an acceptable level of risk? 60-something players are deciding it's not. Maybe more will down the road and have to face this sort of deadline issue with the league. And maybe the league will decide it's not worth it. But keep in mind, in March, we shut down sports based on one infection. Now we're going to have hundreds of infections. What is the deciding factor whether we shut down sports? 
baseball is going through this. They've basically had to rejigger two team schedules, which affects multiple teams. They're saying they're playing through. We'll see if they have more outbreaks. They're blaming it on the players. And, and, you know, all this is true. Sure, the players acted recklessly. And the NFL has this reckless conduct where they can put someone on a non-football injury list, which means they don't have to get paid if they can prove high-risk behavior. Now, proving it's going to be tough. We're not going to have selfies. You can't monitor every player's actions. But, you know, <laughs> did he go to some social gathering he shouldn't have? Prove it. Uh, and the, we'll see grievances out of that. I will definitely predict that. We will see grievances from players who are put on the uh, NFI list due to COVID, due to high-risk activities. And again, as the union requested, team staffs are on those same high-risk things. We're all trying to be safe here. Um, but again, we'll see if the NFL behavior is different than the country where after a certain period of time, we decide, okay, you know, we've had enough of this. It's tough, myself included. I'm an older man. You know, I don't like having to always uh, restrict my activities, but I understand it. And we'll see if players can do it as well. And again, it's the length of time that is concerning. It's, you know, uh, I just came back from the Greenbrier Resort where they were bubbling the World Team Tennis. My son got an internship with them. It was great. But the, they were not totally bubbled. They can interact with guests like myself. Nine teams. They couldn't leave the resort. But it was three weeks. It was three weeks. And Major League Soccer in Florida, that's almost over. Very short period of time. But now we're talking about NBA with months. We'll see how, how that reacts, you know, how it goes. They haven't even reached the playoffs, which takes two months. Um, and we'll see how it goes in the non-bubbled sports that are continuing for a long period of time, like baseball and, of course, the NFL. Okay, a final word on college. I think it's fascinating what's going on in college sports right now. We talk about player empowerment with the NFL and kneeling and all those kind of things. These college athletes have no representation union-wise, and uh, they're stepping up. You know, I see Caleb Farley, the top player from Virginia Tech, opting out, saying he doesn't feel safe. He'll train for the draft. Another player, Rashad Bateman, doing the same thing. Uh, we're going to see more of these. And so real player empowerment is coming out of college. I am doing a lot of work on name image likeness generally and with Villanova. And what we see with that is, you know, player empowerment coming from litigation and legislation. Now the NCA reacting, they're going to be state bills. Now they're going to be federal bills, giving players the right to earn money off, off campus in third party endorsements and camps and clinics and YouTubes and cameos and video opportunities. But now with the virus, you see player empowerment in bigger levels, the Pac-12 athletes getting together and really using the force of their power and their name and their talents to try to leverage change among the Pac-12. We'll see where that goes. I am conflicted here because I also wear the hat of a university in my full-time job at Villanova and working closely with athletics, and I understand the difficult role of economics from athletics. And I'm not talking about the Clemsons with water slides, you know, and these massive facilities. But it is an arms race to get the best players. But that is the, those are the outliers, people. You know, the fact we're seeing all these sports cut, that people have this idea that college sports is this, 
cash cow and maybe at certain institutions for certain uh, isolated sports, yes. But these institutions have 20-something sports and at best, too, make money. So this is what people don't realize when they think about college sports. So I don't know what's going to happen. But I do think the better empowerment that you have for college athletes, the better. But schools may react and say, okay, well, we just can't do it. <laughs> and then what? You know, and then what? It's not like there are going to be union grievances. Um, you know, Northwestern tried something. It kind of ended up going nowhere. And maybe it does bring awareness and it brings change. There's like the, the O'Bannon suit with cost of attendance. But I guess what I'm saying is I'm conflicted because I am so impressed with these athletes in the Pac-12 and these players that have opted out, sort of flexing their leverage here. But I am also understanding of intercollegiate athletics and finances. And... You know, what athletic directors are now, back in the day, athletic directors were schedulers and managers and administrators and organizers and dealing with coaches in various sports. Now they're fundraisers. That's it. They're fundraisers. So what we're going to see is a, is a real sea change. What shakes out of college sports with this virus? You know, as everyone knows about the virus, those at most risk are really at most risk. And it's just exacerbated by all this. So, you know, you have UConn canceling football. You have Ivy League sports gone. You have other schools considering uh, taking away all fall sports. Football's up in the air. We're talking about conference schedules. Maybe that sounds good for now. We'll see where it goes. So I'm just concerned. And, uh, you know, we're in this virus worldwide now. So I'll leave it there. Again, my my intention with trying to inform, educate, is not to be pessimistic. It's to be realistic. I hope we play through this pandemic. I really do. I understand reasons why people don't want to. But the idea that we should play through the pandemic because people are bored and near their, need their sports, come on. The idea that we're playing through the pandemic because economics matters and we can't shut down these multi-billion dollar industries, okay. You know, that's realistic as well. I get it. But let's not, let's be honest. It's not about health and safety. First, it's about economics. My final line again, the business of sports, it always wins. And that'll do it for the business of sports podcast for this week, the Brands Rants edition. Thanks to all of you who follow me on Twitter at Andrew Brand. Thanks to my musical extraordinaire uh, producer underscoring me, my son, Sam. Thanks to my producer, uh, of this podcast, Russ Tucker Podcast, Brian Neal. Thanks for any comments on Apple Podcasts and rankings. Really appreciate those. And I'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.